And as we continue our sermon series through the book of Esther this morning, we're joining into a story of people who felt bewildered. They went through troubling, confusing circumstances, and in the middle of that, God came into the situation and brought them through that. And we'll be rejoining that story to see another step in the journey as God brings his people from bewilderment out to joy. I want to pray this morning as we head into the scripture. God, thank you that when we are bewildered, you don't leave us there, but you you join us there in that place, and you bring us forwards towards a place of joy. God, as we look into the scripture this morning from Esther chapter 8, we invite you to move in our lives in places where we may feel bewildered. God, we invite you to come and to help us go on that journey with you from bewilderment to joy. God, help us to hear from you this morning. Help us to allow you to touch our hearts with your word this morning, that we could go on that journey with you to joy. God, we thank you for what's ahead, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, since this is my first Orange Coast sermon, I brought a couple family photos so that you could learn a little bit more about me. This photo is from 2012, somewhere up in Northern California. I have two younger brothers, John in the red shirt and Josh in the green shirt. And also in this picture, you can see my niece and nephew, Jason and Riley, along with my mom and along with some of my family members' dogs that they love as well. I want to jump ahead six years to a picture from 2018. This is from Memorial Day of this year, just a couple months ago. You can see my brother John's wife, Renee, in this picture. The kids have grown up a lot in the six years. In these six years, my brother Josh got married to Meg, and their daughter Annie is shown here. And a lot of great things happened in these six years. I took a bunch of trips to Uganda. I finished seminary. I was ordained as a pastor. I served at churches. I continued loving teaching mathematics at Cal Poly Pomona. But you might also have noticed someone who's missing from this picture. My mom isn't in this picture. In 2000, my dad had passed away from cancer. And this past year, just before Thanksgiving, my mom passed away after a 17-year agonizing journey with cancer. 2017 was the hardest year I've ever had. Um, In my family, it was extremely difficult going on the journey with my mom as she as she was dying and in my ministry life it was the hardest year I've ever been through as well with things that were confusing and painful and heartbreaking to me 2017 was a year of bewilderment for me but I love this photo because I see life in it I see hope I see God's goodness in it And I am on that journey, the same journey as the people of Esther were, from bewilderment to joy. And some of you may be on that journey as well. And I want to invite you to let the scripture we're looking at today speak into those places of bewilderment and let God take you and me on that journey towards his joy. So we're going to dive back into the story of Esther. The book of Esther takes place in the city of Susa, which is in 
modern-day Iran. Recently, I met somebody who actually was born in that very city, and as he shared with me about the city of Susa, I realized in a new way that these events we're looking at took place in a real place involving real people at a real moment in history. They took place about 2,400 years ago in the city of Susa. And I want to invite you to pretend along with me, imagine along with me, that we are Jewish residents in the city of Susa living 2,400 years ago. We have a king over us. His name is Xerxes. We had a queen named Vashti until she disrespected him and she got sent away. The king went through a process to select a new queen, and to our amazement, one of our own, a Jewish young woman named Esther, was selected as the new queen. And over the years, King Xerxes raised to a very high position a man named Haman. Everybody would bow down to Haman and pay him honor, except Esther's relative Mordecai would not bow down to Haman. And that infuriated Haman. And in fact, Haman decided, when he learned that Mordecai was a Jew, that he would destroy and kill and annihilate all of the Jews throughout Susa and throughout the entire empire that Susa was a part of. So Haman went forwards with that plan. He put together a declaration. He had the approval of the king. He got it sent out as law and it was sent out throughout the entire kingdom, specifying a specific date, 11 months in the future, that would be the day when all the Jewish people all across the empire would be destroyed and killed and annihilated. And there's this chilling line at the very low point of the story, the end of chapter 3 in Esther, this chilling line of scripture that says, the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was bewildered. They didn't know what to do. It was hard to even process what was going on, why it was happening, what to do about it, where God could be in all of it. The king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city was bewildered. But it's at this point that a turning point comes because Mordecai realizes that maybe Queen Esther has been raised up to her royal position for such a time as this. And Mordecai sends a message to Esther, and Esther sends a message back saying, fast for three days, I will fast along with you, and after the three days, I will go into the king's presence and see if the king can give us mercy. So the people fast, I'm sure they were seeking God and crying out to God during those three days. And God begins to change things. Things begin to shift. And so Esther goes before the king, and he grants her favor. And through a set of amazing circumstances, things change. Mordecai comes into the king's favor, and Haman goes out of the king's favor through extraordinary circumstances. And what ends up happening, as we explored last week in Esther 7, is that Haman, who has built a tall pole on which he plans to kill Mordecai, Haman instead gets executed on that pole that was intended for Mordecai. And that is where we left the story last week. And so let's rejoin the story of Esther this week at the beginning of Esther chapter 8 in verse 1. 
that same day, King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the estate of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came into the presence of the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. The king took off his signet ring, which he had reclaimed from Haman, and presented it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed him over Haman's estate. This is an incredible change to the story. The Jewish people were under a sentence of death, and now things are beginning to shift. There's a much more comeback still to come, but things are beginning to change. Haman, who planned to kill Mordecai, has now died, and the king has given Esther Haman's estate, which Esther then passes on to Mordecai. Mordecai is now in the presence of the king, and the king has given his signet ring, this, this symbol of his authority and power. He has given that ring to Mordecai. It's an incredible comeback. You know, this Saturday, as you heard, many of us are going to the Angels game. And I grew up going to a lot of baseball games. Um, I was an Oakland A's fan growing up in the Bay Area. I was going to ask if there were any fellow A's fans. I was a 1980s A's fan, like the time of Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco. <laughs> and I listened to a ton of baseball games on the that was actually my favorite way to experience baseball games because of how the announcers would paint a picture where you could, it was like you were there experiencing in vivid color and sound what was going on in the game through listening to the descriptions of the announcers. And sometimes a team would be behind by many runs, like seven or eight runs late in the game, and it would look like things were hopeless and fans would start leaving, but the game would continue on. And sometimes in the middle of what seemed like a death sentence and what seemed like a hopeless situation, circumstances would begin to change and shift. And maybe it would start slowly with like a couple walks and a stolen base and maybe like a wild pitch that let runners advance more. Maybe there would be like a few singles and then some other things would go wrong and more people would get on base and a couple runs would start coming in. And then maybe the bases would end up loaded and, and in a huge almost miracle, the next batter would hit a grand slam. And suddenly, it would be a brand new game. I feel like that's what we see happening here. It's like a snowball effect as the comeback and the changes are just happening one after another. Haman has died. The, his estate has been given to Esther. Mordecai is in the king's presence. The king's ring, his authority, has been given to Mordecai. And Esther has given Haman's estate to Mordecai. It's like that comeback in that Oakland A's game from my childhood. We're seeing incredible changes taking place here. But the reality is that there's still more comeback needed. Because even though Haman is dead, and even though all of this authority has been given to Mordecai and to Esther, the proclamation still stands. That death sentence is still in place. The Jewish people of Susa and the empire are still looking ahead 11 months to the specific day when they are to be killed and destroyed and annihilated. Even more comeback is needed. 
And so Esther realizes that she is going to need to approach the king again to ask for further change. Let's pick up the story in verse 5. So this is Queen Esther speaking. If it pleases the king, she says, and if he regards me with favor, and if he thinks it is the right thing to do, and if he is pleased with me, then let an order be written overruling the dispatches that Haman's son of Hamadatha the Agagite devised and wrote to destroy the Jews in all the king's provinces. And Esther says, how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear destruction of my family? Esther approaches the king with so much respect, very carefully saying, if this is something you would want to do, if you view me favorably, if you think it's the right thing to do, if you're pleased with me, then would you please write a new order that would counteract the previous order? Would you please spare this disaster of death and destruction and annihilation that has been decreed upon my people? In those times of bewilderment, where we feel like we have a death sentence upon us, um, it is agonizing, confusing, painful. And I spent some time thinking about like a word picture that might be able to capture how it feels when we are in a bewildering place like that, where we feel like we are under a sentence of death. And here's the picture I came up with. Imagine a t-shirt And imagine a tug of war is taking place with this t-shirt. There are people pulling this t-shirt in multiple directions. And the t-shirt is getting torn. It's getting ripped. It's getting so stretched that it seems like it could never come back to how it's designed to be. It's getting dragged through the mud and seems like it could never come clean again. To me, that's a word picture of what the people of Susa might have been feeling, knowing that they are still living under this death sentence. They've been on this roller coaster ride, watching King Xerxes just go back and forth, putting out decrees that, that affect them in all these different ways. They're like a t-shirt that's been stretched seemingly beyond repair. And Esther is pleading for her people for a new proclamation to be made that could take this death sentence off of them. Esther makes things even more serious and heavy by using this language about Haman, that he is the son of Hamadatha the Agagite. Because the Agagites are ancient enemies of the Jews. Hundreds of years before Esther, in the time of the Exodus, when Moses and Joshua were leading the people out of slavery towards the promised land, a group of people called the Amalekites went to battle against the Jews as they were trying to journey towards the promised land. And Haman, as an Agagite, is actually a member of that group of people, the Amalekites. And so Esther is raising this to a new level of seriousness by pointing out, that this is an old enemy, an ancient enemy of the Jews that has put this death sentence upon them. And as I thought about Esther chapter 8, Esther pointed us back towards the Exodus. I thought forwards from the time of Esther to the reality of what Jewish people have experienced in our recent past. I was reading about 
World War II, that during World War II, two-thirds of the Jewish people of Europe were annihilated. It's an incomprehensible statistic. And so Esther was facing a death sentence for her people of a magnitude like that. All of the Jews were going to be killed and destroyed and annihilated all throughout her, the empire that she was a part of. So we see her crying out to the king for a new proclamation to be made. And once again, through God's grace and mercy, the king has favor on Esther. And the king gives Esther and Mordecai the go-ahead to put out a new proclamation. And let's pick up the story again in verse 10 to see the new proclamation that gets written. Mordecai wrote in the name of King Xerxes, sealed the dispatches with the king's signet ring, and sent them by mounted couriers who rode fast horses, especially bred for the king. The king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves, to destroy, kill, and annihilate the armed men of any nationality or province who might attack them and their women and children, and to plunder the property of their enemies. The day appointed for the Jews to do this in all the provinces of King Xerxes was the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar. I remember in my lowest points of bewilderment, when my mom was dying, when I was going through difficult things in ministry, I dreaded every new communication that I would receive. Every time I would see that there was an email to read or a voicemail to listen to or a text message to look at, I dreaded them because I only thought that it would be bad news, just more bad news coming, that there would be a new piece of news about how my mom had declined further, that there would be a new confusing thing for me to try to deal with. And I can only imagine what the Jews across the kingdom must have felt when they saw a new proclamation coming, but they didn't know yet that this is what it was going to say. Because as the couriers delivered that new proclamation, the Jews didn't know ahead of time what it would say. For all they knew, it could be moving the date of destruction up sooner. It could have said anything. And I can only imagine how they must have dreaded hearing what this new message would be, what this new law would be that would impact their lives. And maybe in your bewildering times, maybe you also have been in a place where you have dreaded just the next thing that will happen, just kind of um, struggling to hold on to hope that it could be something good and just expecting it to be another terrible thing to try to figure out what to do with. But because of God's grace and his goodness and his power and love, it was this that was delivered to the Jewish people and the residents all across the kingdom. This message of a new proclamation that turned around everything that the old proclamation had said. The old proclamation, the death proclamation, was written by Haman. This one's written by Mordecai. The king's authority had been on that old proclamation, but now the king's authority is on this new proclamation. In the old proclamation, it was the Jews who were to be killed and destroyed and annihilated. 
in this new proclamation, the Jews have the right to protect themselves. And so everything has been turned around, even down to the detail of the date on which this will happen. Because the date of this new proclamation on which this is to take place is the 13th day of the 12th month, the exact same day that the Jews were to be killed. God has turned everything around, giving a tremendous comeback to the Jewish people in every way. It's a resurrection story from a death sentence back to life. And the comeback continues even further. Let's again rejoin the story a little bit further down in verse 15. When Mordecai left the king's presence, he was wearing royal garments of blue and white, a large crown of gold, and a purple robe of fine linen. And the city of Susa held a joyous celebration. For the Jews, it was a time of happiness and joy, gladness and honor. In every province and in every city to which the edict of the king came, there was joy and gladness among the Jews with feasting and celebration. And many people of other nationalities became Jews because fear of the Jews had seized them. I mentioned earlier that at the lowest point in the story, back in Esther 3, there was that chilling line in which the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was bewildered. I love it that God has brought about such a resurrection change that now the city of Susa is no longer bewildered. Now the city of Susa is holding a joyous celebration. In my own life, I'm on this journey from bewilderment to joyous celebration. And so this scripture speaks to me tremendously. If you are on that journey from bewilderment towards what God has for you, um, I want to invite you to take this story for yourself as a story that can be your story of the journey from bewilderment to joyous celebration. It's a tremendous story of resurrection life from death sentence back to life. And in its time and place, in its kingdom, it is a beautiful, powerful story of resurrection. To be honest with you, my heart longs for an even more perfect resurrection story where enemies would not have to be killed, but where enemies could be reconciled. And I believe that in the kingdom of God, this resurrection story becomes transformed into that kind of resurrection story where enemies can be reconciled. I became a Christian in college, and one of my favorite verses that I believe I first learned then is from John chapter 10, verse 10. And it's Jesus speaking, and he says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And Jesus continues on and says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. When I look at the language of Esther, this death sentence of death and destruction and annihilation, and I look at the words of Jesus that it is the thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy, but Jesus has come that we may have life and have it to the full. I believe that the resurrection story 
in Esther is pointing us forwards to this perfect resurrection story that Jesus brings us, where it is he who lays down his life for us that even enemies can be reconciled, that Jesus' resurrection story that he gives to us is, is perfect, and the story of Esther is pointing us powerfully towards that perfect resurrection story. I want to share, um, as we move towards closing, I want to share a story with you. I was at a missions conference um, a couple weeks ago. And this conference had 750 missionary families, leaders, friends, and missions leaders from around the world all gathered together. And it was an intense week with teaching, prayer, worship, being challenged with the um, the invitation and call to help the world come to know about Jesus. It was an intense week. And so in the middle of the intensity, there was also some fun. Um, my roommate for the week was from Ukraine, and she was part of a whole team from the Ukraine. And the international teams got to compete in, like, a World Cup of missions teams from the platform at this missions conference. So we started off with eight teams competing, Four of them were eliminated the first day. They were competing with just wacky, silly, funny games. And so it got cut down to four and then down to two. And the final two teams were um, my teammates, team, Team Ukraine, and Team Russia. So the next day, <laughs> Team Ukraine and Team Russia were supposed to compete against one another. So if you know some of what's going on in the world today, in real life, Ukraine and Russia are in a bloody war. Um, it's, it's extremely serious. People are dying. And for the Ukrainians and for the Russians, this is their life. They're in the middle of this war. And so apparently, Team Ukraine and Team Russia started thinking and praying and having this new idea. And the two teams kind of independently both had the same idea, which is that they didn't feel it would be right to compete against each other, even just for fun, while in real life they're at war. And so here's what ended up happening. We all came the next morning ready to see Team Ukraine and Team Russia compete. Team Ukraine had on their team shirts over their clothes. Um, they had these bright yellow Team Ukraine shirts with like a yellow, um, uh, with their country shape indicated on their shirt. And they got up on the platform and we all thought they were going to compete. And then Team Ukraine took off their Ukrainian t-shirts and gave them as a gift to Team Russia. And the two teams, Team Ukraine and Team Russia, they were going to form combined teams and that they would compete. They would still do the fun, wacky game, but they would do it as a unified, uh, like two unified teams. So they did that. They went ahead and did the fun competition as unified teams. After that, a young woman named Olga from Team Russia came up to the podium and explained how much it meant to her as a Russian with relatives in Ukraine to see this symbolic act of reconciliation being played out from the platform that, that morning. Another Russian team member came and from the podium prayed blessing over Team Ukraine. 
And it was an amazing picture, I believe, of what this resurrection change looks like in the kingdom of God. The story of Esther, again, points us powerfully towards that resurrection story. The story of Esther shows us how God will take a death sentence and bring life out of it, how God will take a bewildered people and bring them back to joyous celebration. And the story of Esther, I believe, points us forwards towards that perfect resurrection story of return to life that we find in Jesus. And I felt that that morning at that missions conference, I was seeing that resurrection story play out, that the Ukrainians and Russians living in bewildering times with death sentences over these interactions between their countries, they were living out the reality of the resurrection life and come back and change that God brings about through Jesus. I want to invite us this week where you are in places in your life where you are bewildered, where it is painful, confusing, troubling, where it's unclear what even has happened, it's unclear why it's happened, it's unclear what to do about it, Maybe places in your life where um, it's unclear what God is doing and where to turn next. Places in our lives where it feels like we're under a death sentence and we can't imagine that joy could ever come back. I want to invite us this week to take the story of Esther, this comeback story, this resurrection story, and make it our story. It's It's in scripture, and God invites us to make it our story. And take John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's our story as well, and I want to invite us in those places where we feel dead, where we feel destruction, where we feel like dreams have been annihilated. I want to invite us to make these resurrection stories our story and let God take us on that journey from that place of bewilderment to joy. I have a weekly challenge for us. I'd invite you, as always, if you'd like to take out your cell phone and capture a shot of the weekly challenge. So here's what I want to invite you to do, and I'll be doing this as well. Read Esther chapter 3 it shows the very low point of the story. And read Esther chapter 8 and look at the parallels between the two. Look at how God changes everything that had been a death sentence and changes it around to bring about renewed life. For grow, I want to invite you to read John chapter 10, verses 10 and 11. And consider this in your own life. Are there areas of your life that feel stolen, killed, and destroyed? Invite Jesus into those areas to bring his life to the full. And then I love it that each week we have a challenge that invites us to experience God's overflow in our lives. I feel that overflow flowing out into the people that we encounter in our daily lives. So I would invite you to pray and consider who in your life is feeling bewildered this week. And then share encouragement with them. Consider sharing the story of Esther with them. 
or consider sharing John chapter 10, verses 10 and 11 with them. Let the overflow of what God is doing in you flow over into the lives of people around you. Let's begin that response now. I'd like to invite us to pray together as we begin to let God use this scripture in our own lives, even this coming week. God, we thank you that when a people, the Jewish people in Esther's time, had reached that lowest point where they were bewildered and they were living under a death sentence. God, we thank you that in your power and goodness and love, you turned it around, that you renewed life, that you brought such a comeback that the next time we heard about the city at the end of Esther 8, the city was in joyous celebration, no longer bewildered, but now celebrating. God, I lift up to you our lives. We come before you with our lives. God, I lift up the places in my heart and in my life where I'm still feeling bewildered, where I still feel pieces of that death sentence. God, for all of us across the room, as we lift up those places of our lives to you, God, we invite you to begin taking us the next step on that journey from bewilderment forwards to joy. God, where, where we have hurt, confusion, pain, help us. Help us to bring those things to you, God, even right now and in the days ahead. God, thank you that you have given us these resurrection stories because they are our stories. And I pray for the reality of Esther and the, the even more perfect, the perfect reality of the resurrection story of Jesus to impact our lives, our hearts, our minds, our families, today and this week and continuing on from there. God, would you lead us on that journey out from bewilderment and towards your joy, towards your full and abundant life. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for what is ahead for this church, for each family, for each individual here. God, thank you for your power and your love and for your your resurrection life that you have given to us. God, we give you praise. We love you and worship you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we all stand for this closing song?